funny to watch the songs play out. <laughs> They're usually done before the message is finished. Well, a lot of times the message is finished at like 9.58 a.m., so hopefully they're done before then, like Sunday morning. I mean, um, as we were singing Speak, O Lord, just really hit, and I know I said it, let's sing that second verse again. But I want to read that second verse again. Well, no, let me, let me just read parts of this. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness, that the light of Christ might be seen today. Now watch this. In our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Now let me go back and read that again. That the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. That is exactly what we're going to talk about this morning. As we come to this passage um, that is, I don't know, I, I, maligned, I guess, misunderstood, accused, and is so stinking beautiful and powerful. And you're like, dude, you're getting worked up early. I am. I am. I've been worked up all week. Actually, I've had two weeks to work on this because Luke spoke last week. So you are in trouble. <laughs> anyway, verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. <clears throat> we ended last week's message with Paul calling Titus to appoint elders in every town in Crete, and in doing so, also correcting those who were teaching false doctrines to the churches there. Paul gave Titus, and to us as well, a picture of what these false teachers looked like, saying they were insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, teaching for shameful gain, defiled, unbelieving, with their minds and their consciences defiled, professing to know God but denying Him by their works. They were detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Why don't you just say what you're thinking, Paul, right? That's these false teachers, and that's a pretty descriptive bunch of words and thoughts there. And notice this, these people are teaching things that are wrong, yes. But not only their teaching, but their deeds as well are bad. And we had said a couple of weeks ago that the main thought pattern in this letter is sound doctrine leading to good deeds. So in contrast to those false teachers who deny God by their works, here Paul calls Titus back to the goal. But... As for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Don't be like them. Don't blend in there in Crete. And don't let the people of God blend in either. May they be different, separate. And the answer as to how to do this, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. You want the people to be different? You want the people to stand out? You want the people to reflect the glory of God? Teach sound doctrine. Tell them the things, teach them the things that are sound doctrine. And that word sound means whole or healthy. And again, this is the base. This is the foundation. This is the most important thing that Titus can do for the Cretans. 
and for the faith in general. Titus, if you can, if you can communicate the doctrine right and they receive it, these Cretans, known to be liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons, are going to start to live differently. And Paul, in our passage today, will focus on six recipients of this teaching, six groups of people in the church who will receive this teaching. Older men, older women, young women, younger men, Titus himself, and bondservants. And that will pretty much cover it. And so we all fit into at least one of these categories. So let's start with verse 2. Older men. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Our first group to be addressed is older men. Now, the word for older is presbutes. Presbutes. Uh, sounds a lot like the word for elder, which was presbyteros, but it's different enough to make it clear that it means an older man, not an elder in the church. Now, older than who? Well, that depends on who you ask. Uh, the Greeks and the Romans had some differing opinions on what constituted old or older. Um, ancient teachers, Greek and Roman, and even older, Hippocrates, Philo, Chrysostom, and others had detailed breakdowns of what was infancy, child, young, adult, old, elderly, near death. They didn't say that, but... The basic pattern of the New Testament thought, though, according to commentators Howard Marshall and Philip Towner, followed, quote, a rough division into young and old with the boundary set at the age of 40. So 40 and over, you're older. There you go. You're like, thanks a lot. Welcome to my world. <laughs> That's right. So we'll use that division, 40 and older, uh, to order our thoughts here. Again, is that what Paul's saying? Absolutely. I don't know. Um, but we're going to go by that template. Older is 40 and over. Younger is under 40. There are clear teachings in even the Bible and in Roman texts that called 30-somethings youth. Um, so we're going to take 40 and older as older men, and we'll do that with older women too when we get there. And it makes it easier to focus our thoughts in these categories. So older men, men 40 and over, are to be what? So there's a list. You're going to see some lists today. There's a list of four things with the last thing having three descriptors of its own. So this is the list for older men. They're to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, and sound in. And the last one having the three descriptors. They're sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. So note that. You guys who are older are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. Teach them so they can be. That's this letter. And these older men are to be, first, sober-minded. That means temperate. Not given to any extremes in thought or behavior. That's a really good definition. Sober-minded, temperate, not given to any extremes in thought or behavior. Oh, man. That might not sound like much, but that is a tall order. 
We are funny creatures. We tend to be all in on stuff, sold out to a particular set of ideals or political parties or sports teams or whatever. Especially as we progress in life, we get set in our ways. And getting set in our ways, we drift farther and farther toward our opinions and our camps. These older men are to dictate to themselves the need for not going to extremes. A little Billy Joel theology. Anybody familiar with Billy Joel much? 1989, he had a song called, I Go to Extremes. And it sums this up pretty well. He says, darling, I don't know why I go to extremes. Too high or too low, there ain't no in-betweens. And if I stand or I fall, it's all or nothing at all. Darling, I don't know why I go to extremes. And he goes on to say this, out of the darkness, into the light, leaving the scene of the crime. Either I'm wrong or I'm perfectly right every time. Sometimes I lie awake night after night, coming apart at the seams. Eager to please, ready to fight. Why? Do I go to extremes? These older Christian men in Crete are not to be like that. Let me tell you what. In my teens, early 20s, probably up through my 30s as a young man, I was so certain of so many things. Maybe I even thought when I was younger, I was certain of everything. I would tell you what was perfectly right every time, if you asked, or a lot of times, even if you didn't. And we all know these types of people, right? Well, older men, older followers of Jesus are not those men. Not given to extremes in thought or behavior. Now, does that mean they can't stand strong on truth? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But they're not to be those who are known for their extreme thoughts and behaviors as the marker of how they live their lives. The political zealot, the Facebook keyboard warrior, the agitator, the arrogant know-it-all. Not these older men. Sober-minded. Deep thinkers who can listen to both sides and discern how not to be one who swings too far one way or the other. Not Peter hacking off ears in the garden. Willing to tell you what they think and believe, but not trumpeting their opinions as the superior wisdom that it is meant to embarrass the fools who don't agree with them. There's a calm, confident demeanor to these older men, which sounds like dignified, right? A dignified man is held in high esteem. He's respected. Not lowering himself to the deeds or ways of the culture. He holds himself in a way that makes people go, oh, that's that guy. And there's an understanding that that guy is to be regarded with a mindset of veneration. So be sober-minded, be dignified. And then there's self-controlled. Will mentioned this in his speaking at the Lord's table. The Greek word is sophron. S-O-P-H-R-O-N. Any sophomores in here? Anybody a sophomore in school? You know what the word sophomore means? It means wise fool. It's literally what it means. So, sophron, soft is uh, wisdom. Sophron is sober, temperate, discreet, a sound mind, sane, in one's senses, curbing one's desires and impulses, temperate and self controlled. Very similar to what we've already seen, but adding a mindset, and here we go, of being able to say no to oneself. 
curbing one's desires and impulses. I can say no to me. I may want to do something, but I know I shouldn't, so I'm not going to. That next bowl of ice cream, right? That 17th cookie, I mean, second cookie, whatever. I can say no to those things. And then sound in faith. Sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. So there's supposed to be sound, which is the fourth thing. And sound means whole or healthy. These older men are to have lives that show their faith is whole. Their love is full and they are steadfast in what they do. Again, not extremes, not uncontrolled, but sound in faith, sound in love, sound in their steadfastness. It's all healthy and vital. It's still water running deep. These older men are faithful, loving, steadfast men. And oh, may it be said of us, older men, may our example be clear and powerful. And what brings this about? What did Paul tell Titus to do? Sound doctrine. No other way to get there. This is not a set of characteristics to work toward, but the fruit of the Spirit of God overflowing through these older men. And when the Holy Spirit is moving in these older men, this is what it will look like. So don't look at this list and say, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll work on that. That's not the point. The point is, when the Holy Spirit is active and moving in these older men, this is what He looks like. And keep that in mind, because that's going to set the basis for everything else we do today. So now, older and younger women in verses 3 to 5. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the Word of God may not be reviled. Now let me just say again to start this section that it is a terrible shame. A terrible shame that we've reached a place in our culture that this is in any way controversial. But we have. And it's not. And we'll get into that as we go. But Paul turns his focus to Titus' teaching to and about older and younger women. Older women first. And MacArthur points out that 40 is the most common age for childbearing to stop. And 60 is a good common average for child rearing to stop. So we could be looking at as young as 40, maybe up to 60 for what could be considered older women. But we'll stick to the 40 like we did for the older men. So 40 and older ladies, y'all are older. Y'all can tar and feather me for that later. <laughs> We're talking about rolls here, okay? We're not talking about oil of Olay or wrinkle cream. We're talking about rolls. These older women are to likewise, like the older men, be what? Here's their list. Reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to much wine, teaching or teach what is good in the list. And we'll get into what and who they are to teach as we go. But let's start with number one first. Older women, under the teaching of the right doctrine, are to be, first, reverent in behavior. This may be my favorite part of the message, by the way. I'm going to oversell it because it's awesome. It's incredible. That word reverent is a very interesting word. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. Okay, let me give it a shot. 
He er apropes. He er apropes. He er apropes. So anyway, I shouldn't have tried that. The, the authorized version translated as, as becometh holiness. It's befitting. The befitting places, actions, or sacred things to God. It's reverent. Another lexicon says it this way. Listen. Characteristic of the deportment or activities of someone performing religious duties and ceremonies to a deity. Reverent. These older women would be reverent in their behavior. It's translated as priestly. Women are to, these older women are to perform religious types of duties as to God and others in their priestly deportment. Wow. Older women are called to be priest-like, mediating between God and people in their behavior. That is quite a calling. That is quite a job description. Older women behave like priests. Next, not slanderers. Watch this. The word for slanderer is diabolos. Sounds pretty bad, right? Well, it is. Satan is translated as diabolos. It means false accuser, to act the part of the devil or to side with him. Yikes. To slander is to accuse someone falsely or maybe even truthfully to take the devil's side in what you say about them. Our call as believers, all believers, is to edify or build up with our words. To slander is to accuse and tear down with your words. Older women, don't be slanderers. Watch your words. Let your deeds be priestly and your words not be devilish. And it's a constant thread, isn't it? How prone are you, ladies? Because we're talking to ladies right now. How prone are you to accuse others with your words? Men too, for sure. But here, Paul is instructing Titus to teach sound doctrine so the older women's lives will not be marked by slander. Then, not slaves to much wine. Now we touched on this when it was mentioned in 1 Timothy. There's a marked slide in our society for women, especially moms, to turn to wine to help them relax, unwind, de-stress. We've moved from Calgon, take me away, to Chardonnay, take me away. Well, there's nothing new under the sun, right? So it was obviously a problem in Crete too. The Cretan women must have been prone to imbibe too much, too often, or both. And Paul tells Timothy that the sound doctrine produces older women who are not slaves, doulo, like doulos, remember that? Women who are not slaves in bondage to much wine. And it's a real danger. Watch out, Paul's saying. And then Paul says that older women are to teach what is good. No, oh, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Doesn't Paul say he doesn't allow women to teach? 
First Timothy 1. That's the 2, 11 to 12. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, please, please note that. The call is not to not permit a woman to teach or to exercise, or, or not to teach, but it's the call is I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. There's a marked difference there. Why? Because at creation, and we talked about this in the First Timothy passage, God gave authority to men as their role, and He gave women a role to help and submit. And as we've said many times before, this is not about abilities, but rather about God-given roles and design. Amen. In the marriage relationship, which is a picture of Christ and the church, the man, the Christ figure, is tasked with authority. The woman, the church figure, is tasked with submission. So, women are not to teach or exercise authority over a man. The church has nothing to teach Christ. And the church is to submit to Christ. And then back to Titus, where it is clear that older women are to teach what is good. Well, to whom? To the younger women. Older women, exclamation point times four, teach. Please. And thank you. Teach your hearts out. The phrase teach what is good is one Greek word. I'm not going to try that one. It's, I'm not. And it's literally translated teacher of good things. The good, pure, sound doctrine is going to produce older women who are teachers of good things. Teachers of goodness. And that good teaching is for what and for whom? Verses 3 and 4 again. Older women likewise are to be reverent behavior, not slanderers or slaves of much one. They are to teach what is good and so train the younger women. The good teaching is to be the training of the young women. They are to teach so as to train. The word train is a great word too. It's sophronizo. Hear that soph again? Teach to be sober. Restore one to his senses, or in this case her senses. To moderate, to control, to curb, to disciple. To hold one to her duty, to admonish, to exhort earnestly. These older women are to teach the younger women in order to train these younger women, to disciple them, to call them to their duty, to admonish them. To do what? Well, we have another list. Mm -mm. Here's the younger women list. Love their husbands and children. Be self-controlled. Be pure. Working at home. Be kind. Be submissive to their own husbands. Okay, here we go. So Titus is to preach sound doctrine to these older ladies who are to teach these young women in order to train them to do these things to be this person. These younger women are to exhibit these actions, these characteristics, as the pure doctrine is placed in them and begins to produce fruit through them. First, the older women teach the younger women to love their husbands and children. To which I say, now say what? Is it that hard? 
I mean, really, do you need training? <laughs> it is, right? Right? <laughs> but get the dynamic here. These older women are teaching these younger women, training them, discipling them on how to best love their husbands and children. We probably think that love is a feeling that we feel for someone, but this love is, of course, so much more than that. In the Greek, the word love is actually two words. Now watch this. It's philandros emi, E-I-M-I. Philandros emi. Philandros, the first of the two words, is actually comes from two words itself. Philandros is a form of the Greek word philos, which means companionship. It's familiar, comfortable, close friend type of love. That's philos. Okay? And then andros, philandros, andros is from anair, which means husband. Okay, so close, personal, really friendship type of love for your husband. That's the first part, philandros. But then that second word is this love is E-I-M-I. Emi, Imi. I don't know. I sounds too. I just can't. Imi. And that word means to be. And the definition says to be, to happen, to be present. It means to be present somewhere. So these younger women need discipled in how to be present and to be a loving companion to their husbands and their children. And they probably need some help in doing this, right? Young ladies ever have a problem loving or serving your husband or children well? Ever want to, oh, I don't know, strangle them? Ladies aren't laughing. It's the men that are laughing. Ever reach your wit's end and just can't deal with it anymore? Him or them? I mean, for real. Well, these older women are to be there to teach the sound doctrine they've been taught, and they use that sound doctrine to train these younger women on how to do this, on how to handle these situations. How have you put up with your husband for 10 years? How have you put up with your husband for 20, 30, 50 years? Do you really still love him? How do you handle a toddler, a teenager? an adult child who's nearing their exit from the home. You know who might be able to help? Somebody that's been there. Somebody who's gone through that. Somebody who's done it or is doing it. And that's someone who is aligned with the doctrine in doing it. Like, oh, I don't know, an older woman in the church? Yeah. These younger women are also to be self-controlled. We've already seen this with the older men. It was being able to say no to oneself. So we'll just move on from there. But there to be that as well. So then pure. Pure is in reference to sexual purity. Pure from carnality. Chaste. Given solely to their husbands. All their sexual energy, visually, mentally, physically, given to their husbands. Not reading those garbage romance novels. Not watching things that you shouldn't watch. And you're like, you're getting into the rules. I'm telling you how to be pure. Eyes, mind, hands, heart given completely to your husband, especially in the realm of sexuality. That's what pure means. And then there's working at home. 
And it's, you just say it and people are like, mm-hmm. So what's that mean? Well, working at home is one word in the Greek. Oikouros. And it translates as keeper at home. Caring for the house, working at home, the watch or keeper of the house, keeping at home and taking care of household affairs, a domestic. So that's pretty straightforward. Ideally, the calling of the man is to work and provide. We see this in the curse on Adam after his sin. By the sweat of your brow, you'll work the ground. Thorns and thistles it will produce for you now because of sin. But here in Titus, Paul makes it clear that these younger women are to work the home, keep the household affairs. And now watch this. The pure doctrine is taught and the younger women bear the fruit of fulfilling their God-given role to care for the house. And I'll say it again, this should not be controversial. Now, you may be asking, does that lock the woman to her house, bound up to cook, clean, change diapers, and white noses? Well, I think if that's our question, we're missing the point. Remember the priestly call of the older women? The reverent behavior? I think that's exactly what's being called for here. The younger women are the priestly servants in their home. They minister and administer the things of God to their husbands and children and present their husbands and children to the Lord for His glory. And it's a wonderful, beautiful, amazing calling and role for a younger woman to feel. And I've heard all the refutations and resistance to this passage. Ladies saying, so you're saying that I can't blank. I can't work. I can't seek a career. I can't go to college. I can't have it all. I can't enjoy myself and many other things. And I think it's not about what you can or can't do. Rather, it's about what kind of ministry has the Lord called you to and equipped you for with the sound doctrine. And clearly here and in other passages of Scripture, the main ministry of the young women, the most fertile field for the doctrinal seeds to produce the fruit of the Spirit is in the home loving her husband and children. Amen. And when we operate in the design of God, it's beautiful and we love it. John Stott says this, it would not be legitimate to base on this word either a stay-at-home stereotype for all women or a prohibition of wives also being professional women. What is rather affirmed is that if a woman accepts the vocation of marriage and has a husband and children, she will love and not neglect them. Stott goes on to say that J.B. Phillips' word in his paraphrase of the Bible, home lovers sums up well what Paul has in mind here. I love being at home. I love serving my husband and my children. I love this. That was the end of quote, by the way, when Paul has in mind. We just too often think that we know better than God in our day and time. We can have it all. We can do both or all the things. The next thing on the list is kind. 
Kind means that someone does what is good, what benefits someone else. These younger women are to be trained to do the things that benefit others. They're kind. And finally, they are to be submissive to their own husbands. That's pretty straightforward, right? We've covered submission in other passages for sure, but it means to put oneself under someone else's authority. Again, men are biblically in the role of authority. Women are in the role of submission. And it's beautiful when it's done in the power of the Spirit. And note that these young women are to be submissive to whom? To their own husbands. It's not generic men and women. It's not women being subjected to men. It's a woman being submissive to her own husband. She's not submissive to someone else's husband. So you men who are trying to boss my wife around, which I don't know who's done that, but, but don't. She'd knock me out for that. No, I'm just kidding. She's not submissive to someone else's husband. So young women, this is what the doctrine looks like when it's active and producing fruit in your lives. And why? The end of verse 5. That the word of God may not be reviled. Now don't miss this. It echoes what we saw in the slave section of 1 Timothy These things are to be done for the sake of the Word of God. Not your preferences, not your natural gifting, not the trends of the world, but so God's Word will not be reviled. The word for reviled is blasphemio. It means spoken evil of. Older women, younger women, fulfill these roles and be these things so that people won't speak evil of God's Word. John Stott again. Christian marriages and Christian homes which exhibit a combination of sexual equality and complementarity beautifully commend the gospel. Those which fall short of this ideal bring the gospel into disrepute. End of quote. The world says, show me your God. And we say, look at my home, look at my marriage. Wow. Now on to the younger men. (laughs) Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. That's the list. Women are like, oh, what the, what? That's the list. But what about kindness and purity and working a job and authority and all that stuff? I mean, he starts with likewise, which seems to tie with what's being said to the long list for young women. But likewise, just one thing. Titus, teach them, urge them, these younger men, 39 and below, to be self-controlled. Charles Ellicott in the late 19th century said, in this pregnant word, a young man's duty is simply but comprehensively enunciated. End of quote. A self-controlled young man is body, soul, and spirit master of himself. 
rightly ordering his thoughts, his feelings, his desires, his urges, his loves, and his disappointments. And what does the culture say? Oh, well, boys will be boys. Not when the doctrine gets a hold of them, they won't be. No, these younger men are to be self-controlled under the call to holiness and in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So you younger men, yes, please, I urge you to be self-controlled. Now Paul turns his attention to Titus himself in verses 7 and 8. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. So Paul moves pretty quickly and easily from younger men to Titus directly. And it's pretty clear that Titus was a younger man himself, so it makes sense. But as the direct representative of the apostolic teaching, Titus has some very specific and intense callings of his own. He's to embody the doctrine he's teaching. It starts with him. It starts with him embodying the doctrine. He is called to be a model of good works in all respects. He is to do good works. And in his teaching, he is to show integrity, dignity, and sound speech. Oneness, reverence, and wholeness are to mark his teaching. And when that's taught well, when it's embodied well, these things can't be condemned. They can't be found guilty or found wanting. And so anyone that opposes this teaching of the apostolic doctrine would be ashamed because they can't find anything evil to say about those living by it. Live by the doctrine you're teaching so those who would accuse the doctrine would find themselves embarrassed when they try to say what you're teaching is bad. That's a pretty tall order. And then our passage today ends with some familiar teaching in verses 9 and 10. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Sounds a whole lot like what we saw in 1 Timothy 6, 1-2. And the point is this, slaves are to be good slaves. The best slaves. Submissive to their own masters which sounds like the wives to their own husbands, right? Submission under the authority of somebody else. And what are they to be submissive in? Everything. Their masters are to be pleased with what they do, how they work, how they conduct themselves. Not argumentative. And we talked about this some, but again, how many of us as employees are argumentative against our bosses, against our companies that we work for? Fussing telling others that they are wrong. Not these bondservants. That's not what the doctrine does. Not pilfering, stealing from their masters. The Holy Spirit's not a thief. They are to show all good faith. Their faith in the doctrine coming to life through them. And again, finally today, why? So that in everything, these slaves may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Do you see this? 
older men, older women, younger women, younger men, Titus, and even slaves. Do what you do in order to make the doctrine visible and to make the God about whom the doctrine teaches beautiful to those around them. God our Savior is enfleshed in and through these older men, older women, younger women, younger men, apostolic emissaries, slaves, and you and me. So, all of you Cretan Christ followers, all of you Providence Bible Church people, attenders, members, all of you men, all of you women, all of you slaves, all of you free, Live according to the doctrine taught to you from the Scripture so that everyone in your path, believer or unbeliever, will see the beauty of God Himself. Wow. I don't like my calling. You don't like your calling to make God beautiful? I'd rather blank. So application. The whole passage is really application, truthfully. It's ten verses of application. But we're going to look at three G's, and this one's real easy to uh, remember. It's three mono monosyllabolic words. There's one syllable each. Guys, gals, and God. Guys, gals, and God. First application point, guys. All right, men, coming for you. There's a lot to say to men, older and younger, throughout the Scriptures, even in this passage today. But I'm just going to make this application point about what they have in common and what we cover today. Both the older men and the younger men are called to be what? Self-controlled. Oh, for a church full of self-controlled men, younger and older. It's a call to be soberly wise according to the fullest intention of the word. It's to know oneself and to curb one's passions, to kill one's sins. To make war with the things that don't align with the sound doctrine that you've been given. I guess Ace is probably the youngest male in the building today. Oh, that I could teach my eight-year-old to be self-controlled. Oh, that I could teach myself to be self-controlled. Let me ask you men, eye to eye, heart to heart, younger men, older men, is your life marked by self-control? And just what Will said when he was up here, there are things to do. There are things not to do. And we are to gird up our loins and we are to take action. But let me tell you what, that's, Getting the cart before the horse, which is exactly what Will said, and I'm in complete agreement with what he said. 
This cannot, will not happen unless it is the very fruit of the Holy Spirit of God who, is, who has been sent to live with us, to be our paraclete, our helper, our power for us to become like Christ. Familiar passage, but we can't not cover it and we shouldn't not cover it. Galatians 5, 19-24. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So as you look at those two lists there in Galatians 5, I want to ask you men, which one marks your life? Which one describes you better? The works of the flesh, the things that we do in our own power in the flesh, is not a very pretty list. But watch this. But the fruit of the Spirit, the produce that is produced in and through you of the Holy Spirit is all this stuff including self-control. Are you trying harder to do better? You're going to fail. Are you trusting in the power of the Spirit of God to do in and through you, and Don prays it so many times, what we can't do for ourselves? Self-control is a fruit of the, is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. This isn't a list of fruits. It is the fruit of the Spirit. It's a life marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithful, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Is your life marked by these characteristics? Because when the pure doctrine takes root and starts to produce fruit, this is what it looks like, including self-control. Not sexual immorality. Men, how much of your life is marked by sexual immorality? Impurity. What are you looking at? What are you thinking about? Sensuality. Man, it just feels good, doesn't it? Idolatry. What do you worship other than God? Sorcery? Harry Potter? I don't know. means a lot more than that. Enmity, strife, jealousy. Divisions among people that you live with, work with. Fits of anger? Men struggle with that, don't they? Rivalries, we're so competitive. Dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness. Orgies. I think I'd have to call you all out on that one. And things like these. That's what the flesh, what you will do in the power of the flesh. Men, oh, for a church full of spirit, fruit, self-controlled men. So what do you do? How do you apply this? You get on your face and you say, God, you said that the fruit of the Spirit in my life 
is to be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentle self-control. Do not cop out and say, I just don't have any self-control. Of course you don't. You're a sinner. But the Holy Spirit of God, all kinds of self-control. And He's able to work that into you and out through you as the pure doctrine takes root and produces the fruit of the Spirit. It's not a list of things to do. It's a list of what the Spirit will do in and through you when He is active. Stop trying to be better men. Pray that God would make you a self-controlled man, producing the fruit of the Spirit. 2 Timothy 2. Now here's some things we can do as the Holy Spirit empowers us. Flee youthful passions. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, men, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. It's by you doing the things that the Spirit is empowering you to do that somebody just might get saved. Oh, for a church full self-controlled men so that's guys <sighs> gals this one's tough for me the older I get the more I understand that I don't understand women and I'm not saying that in a jesting way I really don't get the female mind or female emotions. They're different than men's. And it's not inferiority or superiority, it's just different. With that being said, I really struggle as I try to decipher what's going on as I watch women interact with women. Now please don't misunderstand me. Please don't misconstrue what I'm about to say. But, I don't know that consistently through my life in the church, I don't know that I've seen the women, older and or younger, entrusting themselves to each other like this passage seems to call them to. Don't stone me, ladies. I have certainly seen instances of older women teaching younger women in some contexts, in some church settings, but I have rarely seen it as depicted in today's passage. A vibrant, intergenerational, disciple-building interplay of woman-to-woman life instruction. I've seen it in families, and that's right, that's good. Mothers teaching their daughters, and that's, that's the primary place that this should happen. But, again, from my personal experience as not a woman... I have sat with many a man over a cup of coffee, over a sandwich, who have said to me that they want for their wife what he has in the relationship that we have, an older man, younger man relationship. And I'm not implying in any way, shape, or form, or fashion, Governor Justice, I'm not implying that men are superior in sharing their lives with each other. I'm just speaking from my limited personal experience in church settings over the years 
And let me be clear, I'm not suggesting that you ladies would be better off if you planned Bible studies to engage in. Only. Not normal studying the Bible. But what we saw today is life on life. Wisdom passed on from a wiser, older lady to a loving, struggling, younger lady. And I think we saw a beautiful picture of it in Ruth and Naomi. Remember that? Watch this. Oh, for relationships among our ladies. And Ruth said to Naomi, said, Ruth, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. That is beautiful. Life on life, entrusting myself completely and wholly to you and your instruction. It happens, and it's beautiful, and the Spirit of God empowers ladies to do that. And I would, I present this to you and say, pray about this, ladies. And you don't have to look outside these doors. We see one more example of that in Acts 9. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. Young men are going to laugh at that, Dorcas. But she was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. You're like, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the love that these women had for this woman. Life on life ministry. Look at all this beautiful stuff she made us. We loved her and we miss her. And Peter says, well, I'll bring her back from the dead then. That's not the ministry I'm calling us to, by the way, not resurrection. But it's ladies who love each other passionately and entrust themselves to one another. And to me, that seems to be the struggle that I see with women-on-women relationships. It's I'm afraid of entrusting myself to you. And I'm speaking from ignorance, ladies. Just speaking from what I've seen. And what I've heard women tell me. But by the power of the Spirit of God, entrust yourself to these women. Older women, younger women. Open up. Be honest with yourself and with other women. And who has the primary responsibility here? The older women to reach out or the younger women to ask for help? And I think the answer is yes. Older ladies, share your wisdom on purpose. Younger ladies, ask the older ladies for help. Tell them when you're struggling. And love on each other and entrust yourself to each other. Be willing to open up and be honest with each other and speak the pure doctrine into each other's lives. Please, we need you. Older ladies, please help these younger ladies so that they'll know how to love us better. That's what's really important. Guys, gals, finally God. Let me ask you this question. And I think this is the question of the text. How beautiful is God through your life of living out the doctrine about Him?
In your life, in your marriage, your family, the church, your vocation, how beautiful is God through your life as you live out the doctrine entrusted to you about Him? We are all of us to adorn the doctrine with our lives that the Word of God may not be reviled and that opponents may be put to shame. There were three purpose statements in today's passage. Verse 5, that the Word of God may not be reviled. Verse 8, that opponents may be put to shame. And verse 10, that in everything the doctrine of God our Savior may be adorned. Our roles, our attitudes, our actions are all designed and appointed by God to show how glorious He is. That's why you're alive. That's why you're a man or a woman. That's why you're a husband. That's why you're a wife. That's why you're a mom. That's why you're a dad. That's why you're an employee. That's why you're a homemaker. To show how glorious He is. To show how beautiful He is. You were created in the image of God to live your life before the face of God to the glory of God alone. And you were created as you were to best do those things. How can you be a woman to the glory of God? How can you be a man to the glory of God? Husband, wife, child, employee, homemaker. To the glory of God. That's the question you should be asking yourself. Not why can't I? Or why do I have to? No, 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 no. Colossians 3.17 and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now there's a purpose statement. There's a mission statement for you. And finally, 1 Peter 4, 10-11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You were created as you were created to do what God created you to do to show the world that God is beautiful. And you will do those things. You will do that thing. You will fulfill that role as the pure, sound doctrine of God is embedded in your hearts and the Spirit of God Himself empowers you to be you in your role, your place, your setting. And the world looks and goes, their God is beautiful. May it be so in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your perfect design. You have not made any mistakes ever, God. And we do not know better than You. You are all wise. You are all powerful. God, may we not only embrace the calling of our lives, 
but may we celebrate it. And may we show the world how beautiful you are as guys, as gals, as we point through our lives and our actions to the God who is perfect in all that he does. We ask for your help and you have given us your help through the power of your Holy Spirit, through the sound doctrine. May we adhere to those things, God, to him, to it, and give you glory in all we do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Listen, church, he who calls you is faithful. Hallelujah. He will surely do it. And all God's people said, Amen. You're dismissed, but stay neat with us if you can. Hey, Jason.